0: Chapter 10 of Life of Dorothea Lind Dix by Francis Tiffany. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 10 Rhode Island Next. It was during the two years, eighteen forty one to forty three, in which Miss Dix was diligently pursuing her investigations in Massachusetts that her leisure time was first systematically devoted to the study of the most advanced methods in the humane and scientific treatment of insanity dr woodward of the worcester asylum dr luther v bell of the mclean and dr john s butler of the newly erected lunatic hospital of boston were her chief teachers with dr butler in especial she was brought into very intimate relations himself a man of great natural benevolence he had in eighteen thirty three when beginning the practice of medicine in worcester come in contact with that remarkable pioneer in the american history of insanity dr woodward and witnessed at his hands what seemed to him such miraculous triumphs in the restoration to sanity of violent madmen as to feel that a new and brighter day was dawning on the world. Doctor, if Llewellyn can be cured, he said of a seemingly desperate case brought under his observation, and which later on was cured, it will be next to a revelation in medicine to me. The strong attraction, always exerted over original and experimental minds by demonstrations of a new, positive force to deal with, now took such hold on Dr. Butler as to convince him that this was the true field for him to enter. Appointed, in 1839, superintendent of the Lunatic Hospital of Boston, He very soon brought to bear such tact and skill, such courage and patience, such power of sympathy and personal magnetism, as to work changes in the condition of his patients as marked as those wrought by Pennell, Tuke, and Connolly. Speaking of this institution, in 1842, the North American Review says, in an article on Insanity in Massachusetts, quote, Its patients are wholly of the pauper class. Its inmates are of the worst and most hopeless class of cases. They are the raving madman and the gibbering idiot, whom, in the language of the inspectors of prisons, hospitals, etc., for Suffolk County... We had formerly seen tearing their clothes amid cold, lacerating their bodies, contracting most filthy habits without self-control, unable to restrain the worst feelings, endeavoring to injure those that approach them, giving vent to their irritation in the most passionate, profane, and filthy language, fearing and feared, hating and almost hated. Now they are all neatly clad by day, and comfortably lodged in separate rooms by night. They walk quietly, with self-respect, along their spacious and airy halls, or sit in listening groups around the daily paper, or dig in the garden, or handle edged tools, or stroll around the neighborhood with kind and careful attendance they attend daily and reverently upon religious exercises and make glad music with their united voices "eminently fortunate then was it for miss dix that she was thus enabled to become the pupil of dr butler and to witness with her own eyes the actual transformation of the raging madhouse of the past into the humane retreat of the present a transformation which is unquestionably the most marvelous triumph ever won by the moral reason of man over brute chaos look on this picture and on this thus became THE MORE THAN HAMLET CRY OF HER HEART. ALREADY HAS IT BEEN STATED THAT, WHILE ENGAGED IN HER SPECIAL INVESTIGATIONS IN MASSACHUSETTS, MISS Dix HAD FREQUENTLY CROSSED THE BORDER INTO OTHER STATES. IN RHODE ISLAND HAD SHE STRUCK UPON SCENES OF MISERY TO WHICH SHE MADE HASTE TO CALL THE ATTENTION OF BENEVOLENT MINDS prominent among these friends of humanity was thomas g hazard who wrote at this time to a friend in the course of her investigations she has ferreted out some cases of human suffering almost beyond conception or belief one case in a neighboring town to this of which i was yesterday an eyewitness which went beyond anything I supposed to exist in the civilized world, and which, without exaggeration, I believe was seldom equaled in the Dark Ages, the particulars of which she will describe to you." The case to which Thomas G. Hazard alluded was that of Abram Simmons, confined in a dungeon in Little Compton, Rhode Island, to wit, Miss Dix later called public attention in the Providence Journal of April 10, 1844, in an article entitled, Astonishing Tenacity of Life. The article illustrates the intensity of feeling, and the vigor of style characteristic of her efforts at this period to shake the apathy of the public mind. It is not written over her own signature." when possible she always preferred to keep herself in the background and to refer to the testimony of others in this instance to that of thomas g hazard astonishing tenacity of life it is said that grains of wheat taken from within the envelope of egyptian mummies some thousands of years old have been found to germinate and grow in a number of instances even toads and other reptiles have been found alive in situations where it is evident that they must have been encased for many hundreds if not thousands of years it may however be doubted whether any instance has ever occurred in the history of the race where the vital principle has adhered so tenaciously to the human body under such a load and complication of sufferings and tortures as in the case of Abram Simmons, an insane man who has been confined for several years in a dungeon in the town of Little Compton in this state. The writer accidentally met a gentleman this morning from that town, who recounted the following facts with leave to publish them and there can be no doubt that they are correct he stated that he visited the cell of abram simmons during the past winter his prison was from six to eight feet square built entirely of stone sides roof and floor and entered through two iron doors excluding both light and fresh air and entirely without accommodation of any description for warming and ventilating. At that time, the internal surface of the walls was covered with a thick frost, adhering to the stone in some places to the thickness of half an inch, as ascertained by actual measurement. The only bed was a small sacking stuffed with straw, lying on a narrow iron bedstead, with two comfortables for a cover the bed itself was wet and the outside comfortable was completely saturated with the drippings from the walls and stiffly frozen thus in utter darkness encased on every side by walls of frost his garments constantly more or less wet with only wet straw to lie upon and a sheet of ice for his covering, has this most dreadfully abused man existed through the past inclement weather. His teeth must have been worn out by constant and violent chattering for such a length of time, night and day. Poor Tom's a cold! Should any person's in this philanthropic age, be disposed from motives of curiosity to visit the place, they may rest assured that traveling is considered quite safe in that part of the country, however improbable it may seem. The people of that region profess the Christian religion, and it is even said that they have adopted some forms and ceremonies which they call worship. It is not probable, however, that they address themselves to poor Simmons' god. Their worship, mingling with the prayers of agony which he shrieks forth from his dreary abode, would make strange discord in the ear of that almighty being, in whose keeping sleeps the vengeance due to all his wrongs." Quote. Later on, in a public document of her own, miss dix gives the narrative of her first visit to little compton as it throws farther light alike on the courageous mercy with which she went about her work and on the character of the persons in whose charge such poor wretches were placed it seems needful to give it after investigating carefully the condition of two or three miserable beings confined there and being warned not to attempt to go into the cell of simmons as he would surely kill her she proceeds as follows with her narrative your other patient where is he you shall see but stay outside till i get a lantern accustomed to exploring cells and dungeons in the basements and cellars of poor houses and prisons i concluded that the insane man spoken of was confined in some dark damp retreat weary and oppressed i leaned against an iron door which closed the sole entrance to the singular stone structure much resembling a tomb yet its use in the courtyard of the poorhouse was not apparent Soon. Low, smothered groans and moans reached me, as if from the buried alive. At this moment the mistress advanced, with keys and a lantern. "'He's here,' said she, unlocking the strong, solid iron door. A step down, and short turn through a narrow passage to the right, brought us, after a few steps, to a second iron door, parallel to the first, and equally solid. In like manner this was unlocked and opened. But so terribly noxious was the poisonous air that immediately pervaded the passage, that a considerable time elapsed before I was able to return and remain long enough to investigate this horrible den. Language is too weak To convey an idea of the scene presented, the candle was remote from the scene, and the flickering rays partly illuminated a spectacle never to be forgotten. The place, when closed, had no source of light or of ventilation. It was about seven feet by seven and six and a half high. All, even the roof, was of stone an iron frame interlaced with rope was the sole furniture the place was filthy damp and noisome and the inmate the crazy man the helpless and dependent creature cast by the will of providence on the cares and sympathies of his fellow man there he stood near the door motionless and silent his tangled hair fell about his shoulders. His bare feet pressed the filthy wet stone floor. He was emaciated to a shadow, etiolated, and more resembled a disinterred corpse than any living creature. Never have I looked upon an object so pitiable, so woe struck, so imaging despair. I took his hands and endeavored to warm them by gentle friction. I spoke to him of release, of liberty, of care and kindness. Notwithstanding the assertions of the mistress that he would kill me, I persevered. A tear stole over the hollow cheek, but no words answered to my importunities. No other movement indicated consciousness of perception or of sensibility and moving a little forward, I struck against something which returned a sharp metallic sound. It was a length of ox-chain, connected to an iron ring which encircled the leg of the insane man. At one extremity it was joined to what is termed a solid chain, namely bars of iron eighteen inches or two feet long, linked together "'and at one end connected by a staple to the rock overhead. "'My husband,' said the mistress, "'in winter rakes out sometimes of a morning half a bushel of frost, "'and yet he never freezes,' "'referring to the oppressed and life-stricken maniac before us. "'Sometimes he screams dreadfully,' she added, "'and that is the reason we have the double wall.' AND TWO DOORS IN PLACE OF ONE. HIS CRIES DISTURBED US IN THE HOUSE. HOW LONG HAS HE BEEN HERE? OH, ABOVE THREE YEARS, BUT THEN HE WAS KEPT A LONG WHILE IN A CAGE FIRST, BUT ONCE HE BROKE HIS CHAINS and THE BARS AND ESCAPED, SO WE HAD THIS BUILT, WHERE HE CAN'T GET OFF. GET OFF? NO, INDEED as well might be the buried dead break through the sealed gates of the tomb." What was the first practicable step toward providing fit accommodation and care for the miserable creatures she had found all over the state of Rhode Island? There already existed a small asylum in the city of Providence, conducted on wise and humane principles but it was totally inadequate to the demands made on it still it furnished a good foundation and an appeal to the wealthy and humane for means towards its immediate enlargement seemed the wisest present course in this juncture was it that the extraordinary power of Miss Dix to reach the heart and purse of those whom one else failed to move showed its first proof. Among the list of persons to whom she had resolved to make appeal was Mr. Cyrus Butler, a man of large business capacity, who ultimately left an estate of four million dollars, but who, like so many men absorbed in the pursuit of wealth, had contracted a passion for accumulation that rendered it well-nigh impossible to persuade him to give a dollar away. People smiled significantly when Miss Dix announced her intention of calling upon him, and expressed the usual sentiment about getting milk out of a stone but none of these things moved her her faith in human nature if only strongly and wisely enough appealed to was invincible accompanied therefore to the house of mr butler by rev edward b hall d d of providence who left her at the door she made the momentous visit it was a singular interview For some time, through sheer force of lifelong habit, Mr. Butler sought to put her off by diverting the conversation to the familiar but rather unprofitable topic of the weather. So great is the variety of weather in Rhode Island, as well as in her sister state of Massachusetts, that whole days might thus have been spent without exhausting the subject." Preserving her temper and self-control, Miss Dix pleasantly adjusted herself to the humor of the scene, until finally, feeling that the thing had gone far enough, she rose with commanding dignity and said, Mr. Butler, I wish you to hear what I have to say. I want to bring before you certain facts involving terrible suffering of your fellow creatures all around you suffering you can relieve. My duty will end when I have done this, and with you will then rest all further responsibility. Then, quietly, clearly, and with suppressed emotion, she told the pathetic story of what she had seen with her own eyes. She told it as though, there in that parlor, were standing for judgment two accountable beings before the tribunal of poor Simmons, avenging God. Mr. Butler listened spellbound till she was through, and then abruptly said, Miss Dix, what do you want me to do? Sir, I want you to give $40,000 toward the enlargement of the insane hospital in this city. Madam, I'll do it was his answer. While a signal spiritual triumph to Miss Dix, such an interview reflects honor on both parties. Underneath the hard crust induced by a life of ceaseless addiction to accumulation, it showed the beating of a genuine human heart, prompt to respond to the pleading of such an angel of mercy." the parting with forty thousand dollars by a purely business man to whom it might mean a prospective million involves a mental wrench of which few can appreciate the intensity probably there was not another woman in the land who could have commanded such combined power of cogent statement and impassioned fervor as thus in an hour to reverse all the deeply-rooted habit of a lifetime. The feat attracted great attention at the time in Providence, and afterwards gave rise to many exaggerated stories which went the rounds of the newspapers, stories some of which Miss Dix was at pains publicly to contradict in the press. Indeed, she always spoke of Mr. Butler with sincere respect, and felt most gratefully his service to the cause she had so close to heart the name of the asylum was now changed to that of the butler hospital the hospital in which for long years dr isaac ray proved so invaluable a helper to every shape of mental disease later on farther handsome endowments were made to it by mr alexander duncan who had married the niece of Mr. Butler, the heiress to his great fortune. Thus was secured Miss Dix's second asylum victory. In two states already, Massachusetts and Rhode Island, had she been the instrument of prospectively transferring from loathsome dungeons and inhuman treatment to fresh air, freedom from chains, and wise and kindly supervision several hundred wretched creatures, and in awakening a public sentiment that was the pledge of a better order of things in the future. The look on this picture, and on this, was taking tangible shape in a way to gladden her benevolent heart. Little time did she now waste in denouncing the inhumanity of jailers and almshouse keepers in their treatment of the insane. That average human nature should finally grow exasperated over such shapes of perversity. That ordinary and ignorant men and women, rendered sleepless by midnight yells of profanity and indecency, or kept in terror of fire or violence— should finally give way thoroughly to the wild-beast theory and feel that cellars outhouses and iron cages were the only safe places in which to chain up the more desperate cases was no more than what was rationally to be expected the only relief lay she clearly saw in multiplying institutions presided over by men of the science elevation of character and exceptional endowment of patient insight requisite for exercising such seeming demoniacal possession chapter ten